This episode of Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by nightchannels.com, the only place on the internet to get that darker side for your t-shirts and hoodies. These are amazing, unique t-shirts and hoodie designs for occult, music, literature, and films. Of course, they got loads of amazing horror t-shirts. There's this Texas Chainsaw one that you gotta have. They got Alien, but they also got these deep cuts like Begotten. You know Begotten, right? Because you're a hardcore horror fan like I am. Or Guinea Pig. It's like that across the entire site for their music, for the anime, for other kind of media categories. Such cool designs that you're not gonna find anywhere else. Go on there. There's no way you're not gonna get a t-shirt or hoodie. I guarantee you. Tons of color options. The t-shirts have two fabric options. Classic 90s style, which is Gildan, or that great modern combed cotton Bella option. And the best part about all this, these are one-of-a-kind designs, and all of it has really great competitive prices. In fact, if you go there right now and you enter the code rewind at checkout, you get 13% off. That's right, 13% off at checkout if you let them know that Rewind of the Living Dead sent you. Uh, so when you're at the next convention or concert and someone asks, where'd you get that shirt? The only answer is at nightchannels.com and be sure to visit them on Instagram at nightchannels as well. Um, that's N-I-G-H-T channels.com uh, and be sure at checkout to enter the code rewind to get your 13% off. Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. There was a time when studios would actually accept screenplay ideas from the general public, and that's how producer Scott Shine got his hands on a short story entitled He Sees You When You're Sleeping, which was written by a Harvard student named Paul Kamey. The story centered around a killer Santa Claus, and the concept was interesting enough that Shine decided to develop it into a film. Under the working title Sleigh Ride, numerous directors were targeted to lead the film, including Sam Raimi, Albert Bagnoli, and Ken Quapis. But the studio was interested in working with television producer Charles Seller Jr., who had famously worked on The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, the film and TV series. Principal photography started in March of 1983 in Utah, with the movie centering around a traumatized young boy who witnesses a killer in a Santa costume murder his family, and years later he decides to take up the same mantle to punish all those who misbehave before Christmas. Was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. special holiday episode, Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to find out if you've been naughty or nice as we review the 1984 classic Silent Night, Deadly Night.
Living Dead. I'm Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, ho, ho, ho. It is officially the holiday season, and we are back for the third year in a row after reviewing holiday movies in the previous years. We are back for another special holiday edition of the podcast as we talk about probably my all-time favorite holiday slasher, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And to be fair, to be honest with our audience, this is a movie that I go back with to the time when I was a kid watching videos out of a video store, going to the VHS store and renting movies. As a kid, I probably had no business whatsoever seeing. You just watched this movie for the first time a matter of days ago. Just days ago. Damon, ho, ho, holy shit. What the <laughs> fuck is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've known about this movie my whole life, and like you, walked through the horror section of my uh, video stores when I was a kid and saw the 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 cover for this uh, VHS and and thought, oh, that must be so cool, like a like a horror slasher that takes place during Christmas. And I thought I might have seen it, and then when I was sitting down watching it, I was like, oh no, I would have remembered the absolute insanity. That is Silent Night, Deadly Night. What a fucking insane movie. You know, in the trailer there, which again, I love old trailers and I've got I've got this weird idea that maybe we'll do old trailers for everything we do. Like from now on, new or new or old movies, we have to do the old the guy with the creepy voice thing. Like it's the, just so good. Almost the almost Vincent Price voice. They're like Yeah. <laughs> It's just so weird and sinister, but he says in there, he goes, you survived Halloween. <laughs> now you get ready for Christmas. And I'm like, that this movie is way more fucked up than Halloween. Oh, like Halloween, more. the original Halloween. Way like, more. Way, 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 way more fucked up than <laughs> Halloween. I'm, I'm like, yeah, on Halloween, you know, a, cra- a crazy guy busts out of an asylum and kills some people. That's uh, unfortunate, but it wasn't a terribly scary or weird movie. This movie, um, Damon, what, like, who are these people? Where do we arrest them? <laughs> what, who came up with this shit? So let me, let me, before we get into the movie itself, let me tell you a little history of my relationship with this movie, because please, um, as I said, when I was a kid growing up and I first got into horror movies, it was through, I had a video store literally across the street from my house as a kid. We grew up very, very poor. Did not have much of anything in terms of money. But the one thing we were able to do was to have a video rental card to go rent movies. And back in those days, you could rent a movie for like two bucks. It was like two dollars. I'll never forget. It's like two dollars and 12 cents for a movie. And I rented movies all the time. That was like my favorite thing to do on like a Friday and Saturday night was to rent a movie. And 99 times out of 100, it was a horror movie. And they had a horror section. And I would go through the horror section and I would look at covers. And 90, I would say... 90 times out of 100, I would pick the movie I watched based solely on the cover. Now, occasionally I would pick out like, you know, when it was a Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, a sequel. You know, I picked those out because I knew those characters, those movies. But by and large, it was seeing a cover and being like, wow, that's a cool cover. And then picking it up and reading it. Out of every cover I remember watching, seeing as a kid, One that stood out in my mind because I had never seen anything like it that dealt with such a sacred holiday as Christmas was when I saw the cover to Silent Night, Deadly Night. And to give credit where credit's due, the guy who designed the original poster was a guy named Bert Klieger. He designed the original poster, which if you know the poster, the chimney with the Santa arm hanging out of the chimney with the axe. It's iconic. It is an iconic horror poster. But that 
cover, and it was one of those old clamshell VHSs. You know what I'm talking about? Like oh, the yeah. big, oh yeah, oh, yes. old school clamshell VHS cover with that. And I'll never forget walking into the video store and seeing that cover and being like, a Christmas horror film? <laughs> it was totally foreign <laughs> to me. I didn't like, and yes, Black Christmas came out years before this. We've yeah. reviewed it. That was our that was our holiday special last year was Black Christmas. Loved that film. But I didn't know about Black Christmas at that point. I was whatever it was. Like, you know, when I first I mean when I saw again, probably explains a lot about how I am, but I saw this movie when I was like <laughs> ten years old. So I'd had no idea that Black Christmas even existed. And again, at that point I was just picking out movies based on the covers of the VHS, not because I was like going on the internet and like researching things. Um so I remember this cover and the Santa arm hanging out of the chimney with the axe just blew my mind, blew my mind. And I immediately grabbed it and walked it up and ran it and watched it. And it immediately became one of my all time favorites as a kid because it was so I, it was such a foreign concept of a killer Santa Claus. Like and this movie had people boycotting theaters they were protesting on front this is sacrilege you can't make santa a killer i mean this was a controversial film at the time i'm glad you mentioned the artist's name because now i can write bert klieger onto my list of people who need to be arrested for making this film <laughs> i mean yeah it's just it's such a fucking wild film and by the way like it makes sense to me why you'd say like this is one of your more memorable slashers it's not just because like oh okay it's santa as the slasher which is not santa it's a guy it clearly shows in like every trailer and everything it's not supposed to be santa that's a slasher it's a guy dressed as santa killing people but um uh it, it delivers Damon on the slasher uh, feast for insanity, which honestly, and we both love the slasher genre, but honestly that a lot of slashers like don't deliver like you think they're going to like their cover art is almost always better than the movie. Oh yeah. What did we do? What, what the, we, I think we reviewed the burning, which was basically made, I think months earlier than Friday the 13th. Right, exactly. And it it like barely delivers as a slasher. It's got it's got its moments and it's got like one great moment. But for the most part, like the burning as a slasher is like kind of whatever. And there's a lot and there's like iterations, uh there's certain sequels of the Friday the 13th series. You know, we we're we're close to wrapping up uh you know, we wrapped up our Nightmare on Elm Street series same deal where you're like, "Oh, like the, these ones are so light on the slashing, it almost doesn't count." Silent Night, Deadly Night is just like any reason to slash somebody, any reason to be outrageous or um, salacious or exploitative. It's got like it's got it. It's it's like it's drenched in that DNA of insanity for slashers, as opposed to some of them that just sort of start becoming a party movie or start, you know, doing the latest trends or what it, you know, they, they kind of stop the slashing for a little while and try to be something else just for a little bit, just to kind of satisfy all audiences. They're like, no, with silent night, deadly night, it's going to be about Christmas and it's going to be about killing people. And it's going to be about disturbing situations like the whole time in any way, shape or form. So even when they pull away from the slashing for a moment, cause you can't spend 90 minutes slashing, although some try when they pull away from the slashing, something else fucked up happens. <sighs> Something else is fucking awful. I was like, oh, well, that's terrible. And that's going to scar that person forever. And it wasn't even slashing in the moment. 
This movie, this movie stands out to me as the quintessential slasher because it has everything that you think about in an 80s slasher movie embedded into the heart of this film. It's a, it's a true slasher, meaning there are some gruesome deaths and very creative yeah. deaths, by the way. We'll get into our favorite kills a lot, later. a lot of really cool ones. Uh, I kind of forgotten about some of those. Um, yes, there is a really, and listen, I'm not saying it's like the deepest involved story, but there is actually like an actual origin story here, like a real plot device of how the killer becomes the killer. By the way, this movie is, you know, 30 years old, whatever, 40 years old. We can, we're not going to, we're not going to have a spoiler section. If you haven't seen Silent Night, Deadly Night by this point, too bad. I mean, the opening is this is this little boy getting ready to celebrate Christmas with his family, and he first he's traumatized by his weird catatonic grandfather, which is probably one of the weirder moments in the film. But then that sets up where <laughs> wait, 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 let's not just glaze over that. <laughs> Nothing says Christmas like taking little Billy, which is his name, and his little brother, his little baby brother. Uh, nothing says Christmas like going to the Utah mental facility. Yeah, that's step one. That's where we kick this movie off. Yeah, where where they drive up to a mental facility for Christmas. You know, they're all they're in the car. They're singing the lovely little Christmas carols. And I was like, even in my mind, I was like, this is so wholesome. It's disgusting. Like I was so grossed out just by the wholesomeness of that opening scene. Can I but mention? Can, up- can I mention one thing real quick? Guys? I noticed this. <laughs> I had to laugh. The radio's on at one point, and the radio goes, "It's a cold one out there today, folks. It's twenty degrees." And I swear to God, at the exact moment they say that, they pan back to Billy, and the back windows rolled down. You can see the <laughs> windows rolled degrees. down, and they're like, "It's a cold one out there, folks. It's twenty degrees," and you can literally see the back window window in the car is because you can see the creek you can see the crease the wi- i cracked up laughing they literally didn't notice that the back windows rolled down anyway sorry i just had to mention that yeah but i mean well you're talking about meeting grandpa they pull up to the the utah mental facility just just flat out gr- great signage by the way from the art department and they roll up to this mental facility to 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 of course you know visit grandpa you know i i get it that 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 part makes sense but grandpa's fucked up, right? He's like in this catatonic, catatonic stupor. Let's leave little Billy at eight years old. That's the age of my oldest son. Let's leave little Billy with crazy ass grandpa. Let's just walk away and leave him with fucking psycho grandpa. Psycho Kenny Rogers. He looks like Kenny Rogers is who he looks like. Yeah. I was like, and I'm mean, continue, Damon. I interrupted you, but it's just like, just to, just kicking that off going, okay, something's really wrong with this movie. Yeah, so they leave him along with catatonic Kenny Rogers, and, you know, as soon as the parents leave the room, you know, Grandpa wakes up, and he just immediately goes into this weird diatribe about how Santa Claus is evil, and, you know, if you've been naughty, he's going to be, he's going to fuck you up, more or less. I don't know a yeah. better way to say it. And yeah. so this little boy, I don't even know if he's eight. He looked like maybe he was six. I mean, he looked, I mean, he looked young. Yeah. And this kid's mortified. Like he's just petrified of Santa all of a sudden. And then in a separate scene, you see that a Santa guy in a Santa costume robs a convenience store, kills a clerk. And then the parents, Billy and his parents come across this Santa in the, in the killer Santa in a, in a costume. Uh, his car's broken down after he's robbed this convenience store and they come across him and the little boy immediately when he sees Santa, he's like, don't stop dad. Don't this, this dad, Santa's yeah, evil. I've just been traumatized by grandpa. Like I just, now I have this irrational yeah. fear 
yeah. of Santa Claus because of my psycho grandpa. And now there's a Santa on the dark road telling you to stop your car. Dad, yeah. I'm terrified. Yeah. Continue, and Damon. Turns out the little boy was right because the, the Santa was planning on robbing and killing them. And he shoots the dad. And then the little boy runs for cover into the woods. And then the, I mean, th this is where it turns like truly messed up. Like he kills the dad. Then he grabs the mom out, like basically plans to sexually assault her, like rips her clothes open. I'm like, yeah. I didn't remember that. Like, I didn't remember that part from when I was younger. Yeah. I was like, what is Damon doing? When I <laughs> then, watched that part, I was then, like, oh my then, God. And then the little boy's hiding in the, in the weeds and you hear the, the killer Santa come. He's like, where are you? You little bastard. <laughs> Just like, yeah. and then like you know, so the parents die, and then the kid goes to a goes to a, a, an orphanage. Yeah, he watches Santa slit his mom's throat yeah, in, the, after, in the in on the dark road. Yeah, after nearly after nearly sexually assaulting his mother, he watches this dude pull out a switchblade, cuts her throat. She dies in a pool of her own blood. Uh, yeah, well, his, his little ba baby brother screaming in the car. Yeah, and so then you fast forward to where he's been growing up in an orphanage, in a Catholic orphanage, which was uh, I would say. There's a lot of reasons this film can scare you. And I imagine like as a kid, you'd probably be thinking, well, you'd be probably mortified of Santa's after that, like sitting on Santa's lap, you'd be running the hell away. No, this movie made me so scared of nuns. Like, mm. I'm not, like, I'm not Catholic and my family wasn't Catholic growing up. None of that. But this movie terrified me of nuns because of the scenes in the orphanage. But I'm not going to get into that too much. But my point being is, is like <laughs> you had to, you had an, a real origin story and they develop it further in the orphanage where you see Billy being truly terrified. Every time he runs into a Santa, he like freezes up and he's scared. He's freaking out. And then there's another scene where he catches two random people screwing, which we never figure out who they are, or why they're there having sex. But they're having sex and they get busted and then the mother superior who is this like wickedly evil woman to this little boy like she's like this is bad this is bad so she basically ingrains in his head that sex is bad and so again you fast you keep fast forwarding through this little boy's life and you eventually get to where he's 18 and he and he's kind of going but i'll out tell you this even in that scene there there damon when he sees those two and and i and i was looking in the credits they're credited as the teens having sex so they must have been some teen orphans yeah. having sex very wholesome movie by the way so teen orphans having sex um he's watching them have sex and it flashes back to this guy almost assaulting his mom in this in the middle santa assaulting his mom in the middle of the street so they're showing like like actual like trauma recall yeah which is wildly um sophisticated for a movie that is this unsophisticated yeah, but so and then you you mentioned the the catholic the that was another setting for me that i was like um i did grow up catholic so that was incredibly terrifying setting i was like oh no this kid went from bad to much worse <laughs> yeah i mean the nun literally beats him with a belt i mean it was just yeah, traumatizing. for seeing people doing something he, he didn't even do anything to them yeah he got he, beat with a belt they be, and don't forget the, the nun beat them first. He beat the woman and the and the man, right. the teenagers for having sex. Then she beats him with the belt too, and then tells him to go to bed. And then later he freaks out. She ties him to the bed, and I'm like, holy <laughs> crap! Like I was terrible. I'm not kidding. When I was a kid, like again, I didn't grow up in a Catholic school. I didn't grow up around. I didn't grow up in a Catholic church. But like I would go into like town. And, you know, nuns are out like they're not like hidden away. And I would run it. I would literally like cross. The, I was like cross the street to stay away from a nun because that's how mad this movie. This is how badly this movie traumatized me. Anyways, 
So we eventually get to where Billy's 18 years old. He's kind of go out, going out onto his own. The point I'm making with this long diatribe about the story is they actually gave like a legitimate reason for why this kid is so completely and utterly fucked up. And I appreciated that because there's a version of Silent Night, Deadly Night where you see the opening and a shortened version of the killer Santa killing this kid's parents. And you just fast forward when he's 18 and yeah, you would still understand why he was traumatized. You would still understand why he's you know, scared of Santa. You would understand all that based on that opening scene. But the fact that they actually went as far as to develop this into the orphanage with the nuns, like I was truly impressed that they went that far to get to the main crux of the story, which was like 45 minutes in when you actually get to Billy in the Santa costume, when he finally snaps again and goes on this killing spree, they went through a lot to tell his origin story to get you to that point. And gotta be honest with you, Patrick, there's a million slasher films out there that would tell that in two minutes, not to say it, what you can't do it effectively. You can, but I actually appreciated that they took time to tell this story and really make you almost sympathize with this poor kid and everything he's gone through to get here. It is surprisingly sophisticated in that respect because all those buildup moments pay off. They all matter to what's later, which that level of sophistication, you don't see a lot in 80s slashers. You just don't. They go, they go. Uh, killer with an axe uh, or or some sharp object uh, and mow down a bunch of uh, half-naked teenagers. That's usually the, the formula for the 80s slasher. Um, and this one doesn't stray terribly far from that. But what it did was create a foundation for which you could understand the psyche of the killer and why all those things were going to trigger him to kill. Um, you know, the, the unsophisticated part of that is saying, oh, when someone gets traumatized like that, they become a killer. Like, it's not always the case. But, you know, a good a, another good version of this story is Rob Zombie's Halloween, yeah. which is which which shows you how Michael got to his point. And actually, his movie is about trying to find the last bit of humanity before turning into the the shape and before turning into the 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 killer with nothing to live for which is him trying to find his sister and when his sister rejects him well that's it he's too far gone he's officially now going to be the michael myers you always knew um this movie just goes to show like billy's got nothing left um he's gonna try and have a normal life thanks to one of the nice nuns there's a nice nun sister margaret played by gilmer mccormick um who finds him this job at a toy store uh, but, you know, he and he's the kid's doing great. He has a great 80s montage where he's doing great at the store. Billy's a Billy's a great worker. He's helping us out here doing everything's great. But the first Christmas comes around. And what we learn in his origin story is that at each Christmas, he tends to get progressively worse. And Mother Superior, our villainous uh, uh, nun who runs the orphanage, she kind of tries to beat that out of him. She's like, well, I'll just beat it out of him. And then he won't have this problem every Christmas. He'll, I'll just beat him senseless until he, he has a negative association with negatively associating <laughs> Christmas with anything. Well, that backfired. Mother Superior's plan did not work at all. When he turns 18, the, uh, the store owner, Mr. Sims, decides, hey, you know what, Billy, um, my uh, my regular Santa, he his car broke down or something, I can't remember. I need you to don the suit. So now we're talking about uh, intensive, hyper uh, immersive 
trauma therapy <laughs> that he's going to put Billy through. And Mr. Sims is not a sophisticate in any way, shape or form. No. Mr. Sims is just a blowhard store owner who's like, hey, kid, you want the job? Put the goddamn suit on. You want if you want to work here, put the suit on. So Billy, who's terrified of Santa Claus because Santa Claus brutally murdered his mother and father, is now going to don the suit and literally you're like, oh, he's officially snapped. Now he is a psychopath and he sits there with the kids. He gets through it somehow, right? Somehow the one, the he does it. Like, the conversation with the one little girl where he's literally like, you better behave or I'm going to come to your house and kill your whole family or whatever he said. I was like, yeah, whatever he said. I was like, holy yeah. crap. Like he really goes for it. And he's like whispering and everyone's like, he's so good with the kids. And I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. All these, all these parents that are just completely oblivious, which I love, and is a great staple of '80s slashers. So again, you're getting, you're getting the '80s tropes that 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 you want in an '80s slasher. But then the thing that really triggers him that like is highly disturbing. And you and I have both said this. We actually don't like the use of sexual assault in movies. Like I, I I'm disturbed by it. I think you're disturbed by it. It's like genuinely disturbing to me. It's not, it it's is. not, it's not something I can just go to. Okay. Like they're using that as part of the device. Like it bothers me. It really gets under my skin. He sees, um, uh, one of the coworkers sexually assault another coworker and that officially triggers him. It pulls him right back to the, the image of Santa, like nearly sexually assaulting his mom and then cutting her throat. Incredibly this is- traumatic. And this is also the coworker he had a crush on. The woman he had a crush exactly, on. He yeah, had a, he had yeah, a very he, sexualized dream about her earlier in the film. Right. So, like, he had a crush on this girl. Then he sees her being assaulted. So it's kind of like, again, as you said, more sophisticated than what you could take, a, what you would really imagine a film like this being. Because at first, he sees the girl he has a crush on being sexually assaulted. So he steps in to save her. He brutally murders the guy who's trying to sexually assault her. And then she turns on him by saying you're lunatic because he literally strangles the guy, holds him up in the air and strangles him to death. And then she doesn't, she doesn't thank him as a savior. Like you saved me. She's like, you're a lunatic. What's wrong with you? And that's when he really, the the switch just flips. Like that's when like whatever the, the Michael Myers moment of whatever humanity was left in this dude is gone because he thought he was stepping in to save her. And then she turns on him and then it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he just kills anyone in his sight. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's weirdly sophisticated. And I, I honestly, I don't know much about the background of the writers or Charles uh, Sellier Jr. who directed it. Um, uh, do you know anything about these guys that wrote these things? I don't, because, again, the original story came from the Harvard University student and it's a cool concept. You know, he sees it when you're sleeping. I like that. That's actually a pretty cool title. Um, yeah. I, I I don't I really don't know much about this. There was it was a it was a studio script, meaning this was an idea that was given to them by the Harvard student, and then they just handed it to a p- couple of professional screenwriters and said, "Here, make this into a movie," and that's what they came up with. So it's not like it was a passion project or it was a writer director, none of that. Like it was just a yeah. guy, guys who were given the the idea and they said, "Go with it." Um, and it's, These guys didn't do. I, I looked them up. They didn't do much else. Yeah, and it's crazy because it. It. I would have loved to have seen them evolve as slasher writers, because they were onto something. As as and it. And this movie is kind of misguided in a couple of ways. Like I think the way it deals with trauma is very like um old school. 
Yeah. Like, oh, of course that, of course that guy's all fucked up. Look what happened to him. It's like, well, there, there, you can take many paths. You know, it's not, it's not this cut and dry, but, but the, the structure of this slasher is so much more sophisticated than most of the ones that I've seen. And it makes me think to myself, like, remember when we talked about Slumber Party Massacre? Yeah. And I had always had it on in the background. You know, I never really paid attention to Slumber Party Massacre. It was very like a cheesy, cheesy slasher. And then I started to see it also had a sophistication that I was not prepared for and that didn't catch on in the genre. And I and now I look back at that movie and I go, well, that movie is actually important. If I'm going to tell people to watch slashers, I'll tell them to watch Slumber Party Massacre. Now I get to tell people, you need to watch Silent Night, Deadly Night for its psychological analysis of a slasher. Like it's 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 way ahead of its time in that in a weird way, in a way that I don't know is in particularly intentional, but they did it. Well, I remember, as I said, I remember watching this as a kid and and I remember being traumatized mostly by the nuns that scared me more than the killer Santa for some unknown reason. But I remember really liking this as a film. And again, I remember the cover, I remember everything about it. But then I watched it again years later and I liked it again. Now, this time when I watched it, and I have not seen this movie in 20 years, probably. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I remembered the bones of the movie. I remembered the concept. I remembered the orphanage. I remembered the parents being killed. I remembered Billy snapping and going into becoming Killer Santa. But I didn't remember all the little details. And when I rewatched it, even again, I watched this for the first time when I was like 10 years old. Again, way too young. But again, that's kind of, I mean, we were both of that age where we were renting movies we shouldn't have been renting. And our parents were oblivious to let us watch them. Um, I remember liking this a lot as a kid. And, and, and again, I'm not going to sit here and, and profess that I've always been a creative type. I feel like I, I feel like I have been in a way. Cause like, even when I was a little kid, when I had action figures, I would create yeah. like elaborate stories to go with my GI Joe's. Like I would watch GI Joe and I would play with GI Joe's, but I would come up with these like elaborate tales of like a Cobra attack and GI Joe. Like that was always my thing. And it, and it transformed into what I do today, which is I'm a writer by profession. It's my actual full-time job as a writer. Um, so I've always kind of had that in the back of my head. Now I can't, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that when I watched this movie at 10 years old, I understood the sophistication of the story, but I feel like there's a reason why this one stuck with me more than the average slasher film I saw when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like this is one that always stuck. There are certain ones that Street always stuck with me. This one always stuck with me. Um, you know, there's certain films that when I saw in the eighties, that I remembered years later, even though I didn't remember every detail and every, you know, every little thing that happened, I remembered, wow, I really liked that film. And the common thread of all of those, even though, again, I watched them young and didn't watch them again until later, the common thread in all those is they had a good story. And weirdly, this one actually has like a truly compelling story. Now, is it cheesy at moments? Is it, you know, is it, goofy at moments are there overacting of course it's 80s horror of course there's going to be that like there's no doubt about it mr sims is full-on comedy in this movie you know what i mean yeah Um, yeah there's plenty of that absolutely there's plenty of that but at the end of the day there is that sophistication of the story that goes a little deeper a little further out a little a little more intricate that makes you kind of stop and go wow they actually made an effort with this one. This was not a formulaic slasher film because you and I, because when Friday the third Friday, listen, I know everyone likes to play Halloween. 
Halloween came out in 78. The real printer press slasher films that just started getting churned out one after the other really started with Friday the 13th. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like that film really served as the as the linchpin of the 80s slasher because once Friday the 13th found success, they really started churning out. I mean, we're talking like yeah. every month there's a new slasher film coming out because Halloween came out in 78. There's not like this barrage of horror films in 79 coming in. It was 80. Friday the 13th, in my opinion, is the one that really did it. And then they just started yeah, turning and created that that germ that everything is born from, like all the DNA of the yeah. 80s slasher so, comes, really comes from the Friday the 13th. Everyone tried to duplicate that formula in some form or fashion, whatever, whatever it was. You know what I mean? Um, and 1984, of course, the silent night, deadly night. But again. When the and you know what a what a good year for horror because this was the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street both came out in eighty four, mm-hmm. um, but this was different. This wasn't that 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 printer press you know rolled out formula kind of. This was not a formulaic horror film. This was not a formula. This was not a formulaic slasher film. They actually put some thought and process into the story and the characters for that matter. Not all the characters. When you get into the horny teenagers <laughs> screwing on the pool table, sure, there's not a whole lot to them, but yeah. at least when you meet Billy, you meet his brother, you meet Mother Superior, you meet Sister Margaret, you meet the parents, you meet the killer Santa, you meet the girl he has a crush on in the store. All of those moments you kind of understand. And they actually kind of flesh out the characters. They do. It's a. It's really weird. Now that I mean, yeah, you're, all of that is correct. But yes, I mean, it's still. If if you wanted to sit down and turn your brain off, like the uh, the 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 menagerie of the cheesy eighty slasher is still exists. So it's really two very like you know where it it it, it excels that like. I'm I'm not trying to compare them or 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 take away from one, but Slumber's Party Massacre really was bad at the gore. Yeah. Like it just was. Like it was a good slasher, but it was like the effects were just maybe the worst for any slasher I would recommend yeah. up to this point. Where Silent Night, Deadly Night, like is graphic and crazy and creative, like creative kills. Like even that first kill, he when he kills uh, the, the, the stock guy, Tony or whatever his name was, I can't remember his name. Um, the, you know, it's like graphic, you know? And like, he's hanging him and then he's ble- like, his neck is bleeding. Like, even though it doesn't make sense for what's happening there, you, you just go, okay, well, like, like they're trying, they, they're putting intricate details in every kill that goes on there. And, and I was just like, shit, like, top to bottom this is a saw this is like a this is a rewatcher i don't know that i'm going to sit and watch it as intensely as i did for the show but at least i can put it on like a, as a holiday movie now damon now and by the way this qualifies as a holiday movie where a lot of movies don't because it's actually about christmas the subject the plot needs christmas to matter i know you believe die hard is a christmas movie you don't need Christmas to have Die Hard. It, the, the, the whole plot and the up and downs of Die Hard exist without Christmas. You don't get Silent Night, Deadly Night without Christmas being part of it. That's why, like, we did, what was the one we did last year? Black Christmas? Black, Black Christmas, yeah. Yeah, Black Christmas, great movie, in, intriguing movie. It didn't need Christmas to be the movie that it was. Yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night? Silent Night, Deadly Night, 100% needs Christmas 
to be a Christmas horror movie, and it excels so well at it. And really Santa does. dies three times in this movie. It's fantastic. It does. Oh my God. There's some brutal man. <laughs> Poor Santa, man. He gets it in this one. Uh, yeah. I also want to give a credit on this film to Perry Botkin. He did the music. The music is actually really yeah. good in this film. Like it's a really compelling score. Um, and again, I don't, I didn't, I didn't find a, a solid number on what the budget was. I mean, th- this was TriStar Picture, so it wasn't like a you know independent, like you know, tiny little studio. But it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a funded film, but it wasn't like you know a billion dollar production. You know, because again, these were still you know movies they were making cheap to try to turn out and make better money. Um, yeah. But Perry Bodkin did a great job of the music and and the effects, the practical effects were great. They were really mm-hmm. good in this movie. They I were. was super impressed. Uh, by that in this film, by the, way, said, the, by the way, they're saying the budget's one point zero six five million. So that's okay. decent for nineteen eighty four. Decent, yeah, not bad, not crazy, but not bad. No, um, but no. for what they did, it looks great. I mean, it's a really and while there are, as I mentioned, the kind of like the Mister Sims overacting, there are some you know cheesy performances. There's some it's good, an 80s slasher. There are some solid performances in there as well. Like there's some decently like for again for. A, there's a couple there's a couple again we should get I'm, into that then i, I kind of want to know that we grading, should get into I'm, categories I'm, I'm, I'm grading on the slasher scale here patrick all right i'm not grading <laughs> this against the godfather all right let's slow down there i'm not i graded against the god you know what my number one movie in the world is alien and my number two is texas chainsaw so yes yeah. i do grade yeah all right with that being said let's get into categories because we do have a lot to talk about with silent night deadly night and let's kick things off as we do each and every week on the show even in our holiday special and let's talk about best performance because there were some interesting performances there were some fun performances uh who is your favorite performance in silent night deadly night uh, my favorite performance belongs to the villainous, the venomous, the most evil person in the entire film, the scariest. And that would be Mother Superior, performed by Lillian Chavin, or Chavon, I think. Um, man, I, here's the thing. It, no, this is not a well, this is not the most well-acted movie around. But Lillian's performance could belong in a movie like The Godfather could belong in a movie like the untouchables it's that kind of performance and by the way and like it's not like oh some cool side character really like nailed their part no like she's 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 the villain in billy's story yeah i mean truly she's aside from the psycho santa that killed his parents like she she is someone you can't wait to see killed by billy and billy's coming for her by the way like he's making his way back to the orphanage. We didn't mention that in the plot, but he's making his way back to the orphanage because he's got a final score to sell. And, and, and you know, the whole movie, you're like, he can't wait to bury his ax right through the middle of her skull. And you sort of are okay with it. Like, because she's such a villain. She's so cold. She's so evil. Like, and she, because mind you, she's doing this to children. Yeah, she's doing this to, to orphaned children. She's she's abusing them, you know, psychologically, physically. She's an awful, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, awful human being. So you actually in, in every sla- in every good slasher, there's somebody you definitely want to see die. They give you a couple in this, but you don't want to see anyone die more than Mother Superior. And it's because of the performance by Lillian Chavon let me give credit where credit's due here there were two moments in films when i was a kid that stuck with me and terrified me and and moments that stuck with me and terrified me when i was a little kid one was the film mommy dearest 
when Faye Dunaway yep. beats the piss out of her daughter with a hanger and she goes, no more mm-hmm. wire hangers. <laughs> Terrified me Iconic. as a child. Terrified me as a child. The other one was, yes, Mother Superior. I'm sorry, Mother Superior. I was not Catholic. I had no idea a thing such as Mother Superior existed. This film, this, I'm not kidding. This film introduced me to Catholicism. I'm not kidding. Like I'm oh. the 100. This film introduced me to Catholicism, and it terrified me to my core. As I said and earlier, I'm going to tell I, you, it's a very accurate portrayal. I would cross the street to get away from nuns after seeing this movie. Um, her performance is brilliant. She is so chilling and just again. There's a little, I think what part of one of the biggest reasons why this film is so good is because even as maniacal and evil as Billy turns, there's still a slight touch of sympathy for this poor kid. Like even late in the film, you're kind of like, damn, like this kid went through some shit and you know, Mm -hmm. he's a, he's a product of, of the surroundings that were, that were, that, that made him, you know? Um, and that's a big part to her performance as mother superior. Um, my best performance, I'm going right to the top, and I'm going with Robert Brian Wilson as Billy, as the older Billy, and here's why. Yeah. When he does dialogue, it's a little rough, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> His dialogue's a little, a little, you know, it's, little, it's a little rigid. Here's where <laughs> I give him credit. Here's where I, when I rewatched this movie, and I was like, damn, he got this down was his stone-cold stare when he switches into killer mode. And you know what it reminded me of a little bit? The look. I'm not talking about the performance, but the look. When he kind of looks down at you, eyes up, and he's kind of got that maniacal look on his face, it reminded me of Private Pyle in the bathroom Uh, in Full Metal Jacket, played by the great Vincent D'Onofrio. When he looks up at Joker, uh, when he looks up at Matthew Modine, and he's like, He's like, hey, Joker. And he's like, what are you doing mm-hmm. in here? Literally, he says, like, three, two, seven, full metal jacket. And he's got that just, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, yeah, he's gone. gone. Uh, there was a moment in this film when I saw the look on his face where he kind of looks down and looks up at you. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn, that's chilling. And that's why I gave him best performance. Not again, I'm not gonna lie and sit here and say his dialogue was strong. I'm not, and, and they didn't give a lot of it because I think we all kind of knew that wasn't his strong suit here. But that look, that devilish evil look, that I'm broken look reminded me so much of Vincent D'Onofrio in Full Metal Jacket. I was like, damn, he really did a good job with that. You're not wrong, dude. You're, and he's got it. Listen, he's the other. He's the person that carries the most of the film. You're with him for pretty much the the duration. So, it, and it and he's and he's a little bit more like I think once he, especially once he turns, he's rather like almost catatonic. Like he he can only say like one or two words at a time. So it is in the body language. It is in the way he looks, and that stuff actually does sell. Yeah, it works. It's it's it, like I said, he sells the part of being a, a psychopathic killer in that moment. Like he switches into that psychopathic killer and you recognize it like immediately you see, oh, damn, something's gone wrong. You know what I mean? Because yeah. th- th- when oh, you yeah. first when you first meet the adult Billy, he seems sweet. They have that big montage you talked about. He's smiling. He's helping pick up a little girl to get a toy off a shelf. I mean, oh, yeah. he seems like he's totally normal. And then all hell breaks loose. And he does a really good job of shifting gears to totally look like a lunatic. <laughs> he, he he could be rather insane looking in this movie. And uh, yeah, no, it's a, it is a good performance. Let's talk about best character because boy, does this movie have some characters. Oh, so uh, many. And so let me, let me be, let me, let me say this before we get into our picks. 
The second half of the movie with adult Billy is where you really get the characters because that's mm-hmm. when we really get the like full on eighties experience here. So who there, is there your... might be some mis- there might be some mistaken brilliance in the way they crafted their characters too because it's like from Billy's perspective perspective it's like is everyone in the world a fucking asshole weirdo? Yeah, like everybody's weird. There's so many characters in this movie. Yeah. So who is your favorite character in uh, in Silent Night Deadly Night? Um, I could have picked a lot of them. Like I really could have. I mean, like almost everybody. Uh, but I, I ultimately went with this character named Andy, aka Salt Lake City Joe Pesci. <laughs> this happens in every damn slasher, Damon, that came out of the '80s. There's always like a, a a tri-state area, like a New York, New Jersey looking dude, like some guy who does not fit. Like he, this guy, I've been to Utah. There's no guys like this in Utah. Yeah. He's like, he looks like young Joe Pesci and he kind of talks tough and he's kind of like getting in, in, in Billy's face all the time. I'm like, there's always th- this guy. I don't care where it could take place on Mars. And in the eighties, there will be a guy who goes, Hey, what are you talking about? Jerk off. Like there's always that guys. <laughs> and that, and this it. is the end. <laughs> Forget yeah. about it. Forget, you, you're talking to me. I mean, literally like, you know, it's like, it's like, there's always that guy in every 80s slasher, no matter what, there's some weird East coast guy that does not fit the demographic. This is for the most part cast very, very much like Utah looking people overall, like kind of blondish blue eyed looking people for the most part. And then just out of nowhere, here's Joe Pesci. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. Andy was uh, Andy was an interesting one, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, he's like, oh, forget about it. You're not gonna yeah, work. Hey. The, you're not gonna work in the back of the stall room anymore. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. It goes ho 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 when he talks on the phone to the nun, and she's like, "Where's Billy?" He's like, "He got a new jo- he got a new job." I'll give you a hint. It's ho ho ho. <laughs> like, hey, none up your nose with a rubber hose. Yeah, I expected I expected any moment to go full dice clay in there and just be like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> hey, gig you. <laughs> it's just so it's so comically opposite of everything that is happening in the movie. And I'm like, it, it, but it, but again, this movie delivers on a lot of those 80s staples. And if you really watch these things like Damon and I do, you pick up on that. There's always yeah. a, like an East Coast tough guy in these movies for some reason. Yeah, there's, <laughs> wait, pick up the phone. Hickory Dickory Doc. This chick. Oh, never mind. I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> jingle yeah. bells, jingle <laughs> bells. Eh? And I'm not even, I can't even finish it now. We're going to need a dice clay impressions and get cut off. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And also the other one, one of my other favorites, which is not, which is kind of in this movie, but not really because they can't really flesh out the characters. There's always a guy, I call him the Grady of the film. He's like the asshole best friend of like oh, the yeah. main male character. There's always the asshole best friend. And I always call him Grady because I swear to God in like four different 80 slashers, there's a character named Grady and they're always like yeah. the asshole best friend. That's the other one to go along with SLC Joe, Joe Pesci. Uh, Cause you're <laughs> right. There is always like the New York tough guy in Utah of all places. Um, yeah. In Utah. It just, just doesn't belong in Utah. <laughs> yeah. So my, I actually went, you know, you went for like the, the, the funny kind of generic one, the one who's like, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely in every, 
every single one of these movies. The one I went for went a little sweeter. I went with Sister Margaret because Sister oh. Margaret was legitimately trying to help Billy. Like she actually cared for this poor kid. She's probably the first person since his parents died who actually looked out for yeah. him, except she had no power because she was beneath Mother Superior. She tried to look out for him. She tried to help him. She helped him get the job. You know, she did everything for this poor kid. And then she has to stand there and watch him get shot and killed at the end of the movie. It was, it was a, it was a, again, a trope of eighties horror film, the character who figures it out right in Mm -hmm. black Christmas, you know, it's John Saxon is the cop who kind of Mm -hmm. figures out what's going on. And he's kind of like going through the motions and he finally, it all clicks in his head. Sister Margaret is the one who realizes that Billy has snapped and she's trying to get to him to stop him. And then, you know, but she was the genuinely sweet character the entire time, like genuinely looking out for this kid, trying to lead him down the right path. And then, you know, all hell breaks loose. And then the end of the film is like her watching him get shot and killed. So it's a, I liked her role. I thought it was a well-placed Gilbert McCormick is the actress who played it. Uh, I I just, I really enjoyed that character. I kind of forgot about Sister Margaret because I was so traumatized from Mother Superior. I forgot all about (laughs) Sister Margaret, but Sister Margaret was compelling. Also, I want to give one more shout out to best character because she wasn't really fleshed out here, but I got to give her credit. Uh, Lena Quigley all-time yeah. scream queen as Denise, uh, completely unequivocally horny in this film in so many ways. Uh, but Lena Quigley, of course, we all know from Return of the Living Dead, classic is trash. She's, you know, she's yeah. the classic in that film, but she also pops up in this one specifically to do a topless scene. Uh, I love Lena Quigley. She's, a, she's an all-time scream queen. Uh, and I had to give her a shout out for this as well because she just randomly appears in this film gets naked, gets killed, and then gone. But I love her being in this film. Well, you know what? I mean, I think, um, oh, no, never mind. Uh, she she was going to make one of my best kills. She almost made my best kill, but she I, ended up making my best gore. We'll yeah, I was going to say, I, was gonna say I, thought we, I thought we had, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll get back to Leah yeah. Quigley a little later. We will get back to her because I'd like to talk about her more. Yeah, we will talk. But I had to mention her in, in favorite character because I always love seeing Lena Quigley. There's a lot up. of great characters. This grandpa's an incredible character. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you were going to do an Oscars of 1980s slashers and a best supporting actor needed to be in there, like you could put grandpa in there because I was like, what the hell? Like what a fucking scene this is. Yeah. Crazy, crazy catatonic <laughs> Kenny Rogers, dude. He was full on. Like he was, he, he get, just got in because his, uh, he saw what condition he was in or whatever the hell that song is called. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about best line. Now, to be fair, you pick two. I did. So I had to also pick two. Good. I'm glad you did. I'm, I, I wanted. There's so many fucking ridiculous things that happen in this movie. Like you got to document some. Of and this stuff. I stuck with the theme you have because you have one that's kind of serious yet goofy, and then you have one that's funny. I did the same. Yeah. I went with goofy and funny. So go ahead and lead into your into your more let's say serious line, not the full on sure. comedic line. Uh, what was yours? Kind of lead this into this one. Yeah, this was the opening of the movie again at the, at the wholesome Utah mental facility. Billy is getting a little pep talk from his grandpa about what to look forward to this Christmas. You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run, boy. You better run for your life. <laughs> you better run. You better run for your life. <laughs> for your life. <laughs> I so, love that. I was yeah. like, this is psycho. 
Yeah, catatonic, catatonic Kenny Rogers really pulled it on the old, old, the old grandson there. I loved that scene. Uh, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is yeah. tra- traumatic. So my and it hadn't more, even, the trauma hadn't even begun. No, that was right after that. Um, my yeah. more serious line, I had to pick this one because because when Billy goes on his killing streak. He just completely starts uttering one word over and over and over again, punish, which was a word that was instilled in him by Mother Superior when he was a boy. And his first kill when he goes after the girl in the toy store is where he actually kind of like lays it out there. So I picked this as my first favorite line. Punishment is necessary, Pamela. It is good. Punishment is necessary, Pamela. Punishment is good. <laughs> he sounds like an '80s wind-up toy. Yeah, not, he's got the again, delivery of one. I, again, <laughs> yeah. little, little rough on the delivery, but you got the point. <laughs> I do. All yeah. right, now let's talk about our secondary favorite line. Which I got to right. be honest, your secondary favorite line is probably my fa- my actual favorite secondary favorite line. Yeah, your number one. I would assume this would probably be your number one favorite line of the whole movie. But I did pick another one because there was another really funny, like, oh my god, I can't believe they went there line. <laughs> um, set up your second favorite line. So Mr. Sims is the toy store owner. He gave Billy his job. And uh, he's a bit of a kind of he's kind of a cantankerous like toy store owner. Very, very 80s trope, you know, kind of you kids do this and blah, blah, blah. So when the when the Christmas rush of buying toys before Christmas is over uh, is done, that Christmas rush is over. Mr. Sims locks the doors and I was not prepared for what he was about to proclaim as the holiday rush came to an end. And this is something, by the way, I feel like we all say at the end of the holiday season. <laughs> Seven o'clock. It's over. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Time at the to end get shit faced. That's me at the end of every workday. I'm like, it's seven o'clock. It's over. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> That that was me at the end of October after we got through all those new movies. <laughs> it's like when I literally was like, I'm drinking. I don't care what's happening. I should have said it with the gusto of Mr. Sims. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> so my my <laughs> other favorite line comes from Denise's horny encounter on the pool table. Ah. When the little girl comes to the top of the stairs and she's like interrupting them, basically about to come downstairs and catch her babysitter and her boyfriend porking on the pool table and her Mm -hmm. babysitter yells up something as a warning to her. And then her boyfriend has the ultimate horny 80s teenager line. Here we go. Cindy, if uh, you don't go back to bed, Santa won't come. He's not the only one. If you don't, He's not the only one. If you don't go to bed, Santa won't come. He's not the only one. <laughs> part of me thinks that this director like used to direct porn. Well, like, part of me, it, okay. Part of me feels like I want to steal that line because there's got to be a scenario where you get interrupted where you're about to have sex and they say, "Don't, you know, he won't come." Like, neither will I. I mean, it's just, it could be the most tropey like play on that word that I could find. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel wholly religious, original. Like that was the first time it was uttered. <laughs> it feels like, it feels like a comedian line. Like that sounds like, you know what I mean? Like that is something you would, uh, come on now, Patrick, that is 100% something you or I would say in like a 
stupid moment as yeah. a joke. Like, yeah. I can, I my, my girlfriend jokes with me that I can turn any joke sexual. Like, I can just yeah. joke oh, yeah. and make it a funny, like, sexual joke. That is that right there. That's the moment. Like, that is the moment right there where it's just like, yep. That's like, she'd be like, Santa won't come. He's not the only one. <laughs> it's just fucking, this movie is as weird as it is disturbing. Yeah. Let's talk about best kill because I credit where credits due. the next two categories, best kill and best gore. This film is fantastic for both. There are some truly awesome kills and there are yeah. some really, there's some really awesome gore. Um, yeah. So what is your favorite kill? In Silent Night, Deadly Night. I, I could have picked any one of them. I really, I, th I thought all of them were either very shocking and traumatic or like just creative. And I was like, well, damn, I like all these kills. But in the spirit of this movie that just continued to want to be fucked up, I had to go with, um, you know, all now the police are all on high alert. They're all, they're all now looking for him because he's had this huge massacre at the toy store. So they're looking for a Santa, uh, a Santa that's a psychotic and about to kill everybody. And they're sure he's headed for the orphanage, rightly so, because uh, sister Margaret helped them out there. So we see this Santa crossing the street, walking towards the children. And you're like, oh no, here it comes. And he gets very close to the kids and one of the kids reaches out to him because it's Santa and it's orphans on Christmas. And then bang, they shoot Santa dead in front of a bunch of orphans. And I was like, yeah, let's keep the trauma train rolling. Like, let's just kill Santa in front of all these orphans. Can and they I, do it. Can I, can I throw out real quick here when they figure out that it's Father O'Brien and he's deaf? <laughs> now, he's, he's the priest for, that I'm they all for, know and love. And I'm, he's deaf. I'm all for like making, I understand it's an 80s slasher. So you have to make some things fit the narrative. I get that. Like that's just part yeah. of like these films, but he's, he's playing Santa and he's deaf. That's what we're going with. Here's the excuse why I couldn't hear the officer telling him to like stand down, stop moving. And he shoots him dead right there. <laughs> well, somebody somewhere gave them a note. They're like, you well, like why on, why in the hell wouldn't he have stopped? Oh, well, let's just make him deaf. Oh yeah, that'll work for everybody. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, but I was just like, yeah, let's just keep traumatizing everybody. Let's just shoot Santa in front of all the kids. Oh yeah, I mean, they, and they, I mean, he puts multiple bullets in him. Like, yeah, and oh then, yeah, and let's not forget the end of the movie when they kill Billy in front of all the kids too. Like they kill him, and there's another Santa. Like they're really getting traumatized with Santa deaths in this movie. But, but kids, it's okay because this one was a was a murderous Santa that also used to live here with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it should the second kill shouldn't be so bad, right, kids? Yeah. Um. So I we're, I'm gonna cheat here a little bit because your fate, your best gore is my favorite kill. Uh, so I figure we kind of yeah, blend this, and, I, and I'll give my. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it up a little bit. I'm gonna give my favorite gore, and then we're okay. gonna talk about my favorite kill and go into your favorite gore because they're the same thing. Does Let's that sound fair? Okay. My favorite yeah. gore, I'm gonna call the besledding. Oh, I Which, called it off with your sled. <laughs> yeah, but I call it the besledding. You called it off with your sled. See, this is the creativity you get on the show. That's right. Uh, there's a great scene when these two like asshole bullies grab and steal a pair of sleds from these little kids. And they're going sledding in the middle of a field. 
and the one kid goes down and he's at the bottom of the hill and his other asshole friend goes down and here comes Billy with the ax and he just full on beheads this dude and his his headless corpse floats the slides down to the bottom of the hill and then his head comes rolling down later really cool effect right, really too. cool good, gore good gore effect by and the it way. actually and the best part and I know you noticed this Patrick because you you and I are practical effects fans oh course when they finally revealed the head they 100 percent had the actor buried under snow with his yes. head sticking up because it looked very real but they didn't show the full head you can see it surrounded mm -hmm. by snow so you know it was the actor with his head buried <laughs> in snow and they just decapitated his neck like they just like did the makeup on the neck and then they shoved his oh, body yeah. underneath the 100 that was not like a prosthetic head that was 100 the actor's head buried under yeah. the snow but it was really awesome it was a really cool gory scene and the <laughs> i call it the besledding man when it comes down his, his headless corpse come down his friend sees he's like oh my god and the head <laughs> looks a good, good it's a really good one it's good it's it's one of the better it would have made probably my my best score but uh i did have to go with uh my best score and your best kill which i called denise gets horny because denise played by uh leah Lea quigley uh, is a horny teen having sex with her boyfriend and when she gets interrupted by the slasher as happens in many 80s films she somehow inexplicably by the way gets up from their uh, lovemaking session and puts on her daisy dukes and nothing else and answers the door completely topless and i was like well on what planet do we do this we do this in 80s slashers is, is why we do. do this but then she gets chased down by psycho santa uh, down back into the basement and um, down there is uh, we even had it in my house the big deer head you know my dad used to hunt deer and so we had the big deer head mounted on the wall he picks her up and he impales her on the horns of the deer what a great effect there's a great gore effect watching the horns come through her stomach and it was like I was like damn like this is sophisticated like whoever yeah. the effects team were they they really knew their shit. They knew what they were doing because it looks really great. They go for this close up and you watch those horns pierce through her stomach and come out. And I was like, damn, that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's a really cool effect. And I've seen Lena Quigley talk about this in interviews about how they set that up and how they did that. And it's a really cool effect. And probably one of the, honestly, one of the more iconic kills in 80s slasher films. Uh, that's one that yeah. is always remember, you always remembered is her getting impaled on the, uh, on the on the deer on the uh, on the deer head and that was my favorite kill because it was just a really cool creative there's a lot of really cool creative like I, you know they do the i mean i know it's not the most creative kill but i do like the like the way they do it early when he kills pamela with the box cutter like it's kind of a cool effect yeah. of the box cutter just like literally going up full-on like terrifier style upper mm -hmm. midsection and then they have the besledding and then they have mm -hmm. the 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 horny kill like it's actually pretty cool creatively this is this would be if this was a if this was a Friday the Thirteenth film. This would be one of my favorites for the kills because this is a really cool, like series of kills. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it Friday the Thirteenth. I think I think they they really know their their stuff in the kill department, but it's close. It's damn close. Even and for the, a movie that isn't nearly as popular, it's pretty good. Even the claw hammer in the head for Mr. Sims, when yeah. you see the after effect, it's a pretty cool effect. Like it looks pretty good. When he good. throws Denise's boyfriend out the window. 
and he lands with like glass in his torso and shit. I'm like, damn, all they're thinking about everything. Yeah, it was really, really well done. So yeah, that was my favorite kill. And again, the besledding is my favorite gore. But they're all again, credit where credit's due. This has some really cool like moments of kills and gore. Like for an 80s slasher, and you and I both know it can get really cheesy. This one's really well done. It is. It's weirdly, it's weirdly really well done on a lot of fronts for a, for a, a very outwardly cheesy and exploitative uh, 80s horror slasher. It delivers. It yeah. really does. So let's talk about our funniest moment in this film, because this mm-hmm. film does deliver on some funny moments. And again, I keep comparing, I keep comparing this to like some of the Friday the 13th films, because one thing I always liked about the Friday the 13th films, unlike let's say some of the nightmare on elm street films which again i'm a nightmare on elm street guy there is a the 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 funnier moments in a lot of the later nightmare on elm street films comes down to freddy they give him kind of like the one-liners and they kind of become funny but menacing right friday the 13th has like the horny stupid teenagers making horny stupid comments and then getting slaughtered by jason this film teeters closer to that in my opinion where there are funny stupid moments and then really cool kills um Mm -hmm. so that's where i kind of compare this film closer to like a friday the 13th so there were some really funny moments in this film what was your favorite funny moment in uh in silent night deadly night well uh in the very intricate and plotted out uh origin of billy we meet him, you know, in the where you know we fast forward a year or two after his parents have been slain. He's living in this orphanage, and he's clearly very terrified of Santa. It's very obvious that he's terrified of Santa. But you know, uh, again, Mother Superior's tactics are uh, deep, immersive therapy, right? So it's Christmas time, and we know how Billy gets during Christmas time. So what is it going? What is he going to do? He's going to sit on Santa's lap. I'm going to make sure that he does that. And he's going to do it and he's going to behave because I'm mother superior and I'm fucking evil. He goes and sits or they're trying to get him to sit on Santa's lap and he's fighting like crazy because he's very understandably traumatized by the sight of Santa. Makes total sense. Why? (laughs) Out of nowhere, Damon and Damon, by the way, if you don't know, this is a mixed martial arts journalist. That's that's his bread and butter profession. He gives this Santa a punch to the face that would make an MMA champion blush. Oh, I mean, yeah. he, he knocks the shit out of Santa. Santa goes flying. <laughs> like little Billy was Francis Ngannou. He fucking punches him in the face and Santa goes flying across the room. It was the most hilarious visual gag I've seen. It was great. It was a really cool one. And, and, he, and, he, and he fucked him up. He bloodied his nose. He's like, oh, he, yeah. like he, it was a full on, like it was a good punch, like good punch delivered right to the nose. He he busted Santa up, man. He busted Santa right there in the face. It was really and he delivered it, man. He punched him right there. He got him, dude. He got him good. Um, <laughs> but even the way he threw the punch, I was like, did they get a tiny stunt man? Yeah. So like it looks I, super legit. My favorite funny moment is not funny in the sense of like I was happy about it, but more like kind of proud of this movie. And here let me explain. 80s slashers to young men like ourselves and young women, depending on your, you know, your, your preferences, um, has a lot of, of female nudity staple of eighties horror, right? There's going to be a naked girl somewhere along the line. Lena Quigley was nude in this film. There was multiple nude women in this film. Um, the fun, one of the funniest, but also like cringy, like I, I just really didn't need to see this, but I was also kind of proud. They did this 
was the random dream sequence with Billy imagining himself with Pamela. And they're in bed together. And of course, Pamela's naked. She gets naked again later. So there's all that. But there's a moment where they do a full on body scan up Billy's ass. <laughs> and it's a hairy ass. And yeah. I was like, I was like, what in the hell? Who, like, part of me was like, okay. We're reaching an age where, first off, not to get on my soapbox here, Patrick, but I believe this to be true. I think we're of an age now where I think people make way too much about nudity in 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 in, in film and TV. Not saying like we can't have it. I'm saying like, stop being so freaked out by the human body. Okay, it, we're, yeah. we're we're so like we're so like uh, weirdly like obsessed with like not showing things. Like we can't we you can't see the naked body. Shut up. I mean, good Lord, the things they put on TV now and videos and everything else on YouTube. I mean, good Lord, seeing a nipple is not going to kill you. Um, right. But I am also of the mindset that there is, um, you know, there are moments and there have been plenty of moments where it's 100 um, percent objectively objectifying women. And not, it's exploitative. Yeah. It's exploitative of women. Thank you. I was trying to get the word Ex- exploitative towards women and rarely towards men. Now that has shifted. I watch a show on HBO, which I love called the white Lotus. And mm-hmm. there is just as much wiener in that show as there yeah. are, as there are women being nude. I appreciate euphoria that. is euphoria is another show. I love where there's definitely more ding dongs than there are boobies. <laughs> now I'm not saying I care one way or the other, but I appreciate right. even, even in the playing field, if you're going to show naked women, there should be naked dudes. Cause guess what? If you're having sex, it's not just a, a naked woman. You know what I mean? Like absolutely e- e- equal. I'm, I'm all for equality across the board. In 1984 slasher films, that's not so much the case because the men would tend to be dressed with full jeans and T-shirt and socks and boots, and the woman is stark raving naked. Um, Yeah. I appreciated that they went a little further with the male nudity in this film. Not to say I was, like, cheering it on necessarily, but I laughed my ass off when they scanned up to Billy's hairy ass, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is hilarious because they went full on, like rectal exam on billy in this film (laughs) i remember that scene i go geez they're really focusing on this big hairy ass like they're really focused here and i and i go it's either the cinematographer or the director themselves have directed porn at some point like there's no i i was like this is a porno shot and a a porno shot from like the 70s 80s it's it's like it's from the era it absolutely I know, cracked I was like, me up. Look at all this hairy ass we're seeing. <laughs> just like, is that just a hairy ass in my face? Like, it yeah. just it, it startled me, and I was like, you know what? Equal strokes for equal folks, boys. Good yeah. job. Like, you you went out there. You Wait, showed- and again, and something very subversive for an '80s film. You don't normally see guy ass in that level of detail in an 80s in an 80s horror film you don't so again another another subversion of expectations i do want to give one shout out to one other funny moment in the film i i i feel like i have to do it a little bit here you know so i feel like seven o'clock it's over (laughs) time to get shit faced (laughs) (laughs) that was the other one (laughs) (laughs) time to get shit faced 
had to, had, had to give it had to get it had to give a shout out to mr sims you know um, i like that one yeah no I, like i said that was my favorite i just i cracked up i was like that is a whole lot of hairy ass on the screen right now <laughs> uh final category patrick and again holiday edition but still an episode of rewind of the living dead is it scary mm-hmm. so at the end of the day silent night deadly night is it scary Weirdly, Damon, I'm going to say yes. Now, obviously, I'm not scared by this movie, and I didn't walk away from it being scared in any way, shape, or form. What I was was disturbed. There, the, Even, okay, like, take away the 80s cheese of it all, because there's plenty of that. When you take the cheese off, like, the implications, the scenarios, the subject matter is intensely disturbing. Like, it just is like I I do. I like you could probably put a trigger warning on this for some people, like for certain people like of, that didn't watch movies like this growing up or, or like are from a different generation, like millennial or a, or a Gen Z would look at that and go, what the fuck? In not a good way. In just like a why on earth are they showing this? Yeah, because it's disturbing ideas. It just happens to be wrapped in that 80s neon cheese that uh, that we all love so much in the horror community, we we do. Um, so in that respect, the movie's scary. Also, lay let's be honest, it has the blood and guts, the gore, the the male and female nudity that you look for in an '80s slasher. It's it's a slasher. It's a it's a classic archetypical slasher. So when you ask, is it scary? In those contexts, the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah, and it and it it really does. You know, it really does battle, you know, for the sake of making a traditionally joyful holiday into something scary. You know what I mean? Like if you are you are a fan of Christmas and there are people who are full on like Hallmark Channel obsessed with Christmas. Mm -hmm. Seeing a killer Santa is rather disturbing. As I said, as a child, the Santa didn't scare me. The nuns terrified me. The nuns yeah. absolutely terrify me. Mother Superior is wicked in this movie. You know what I mean? So yeah. By the way, she doesn't die. Yeah, that's even more fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> this film is scary. It is legitimately on that. And again, I'm like you. It didn't really scare me, but like on that level of like disturbing and disturbing material. And also, let's be honest, Patrick. This film wouldn't get made in 2022. You no. know what I mean? Like this is there's so much Most like we talked about slashers wouldn't get made the way they we were. We talked written. about like the sexual assault stuff, which again you and I are both very uncomfortable with. That kind of stuff would not fly in and you know, in without again, without actually having something more to do with the story. I'm not saying you can't use it. I'm saying you gotta yeah. use it. You gotta use it as an actual plot device to further the story along, not just for the sake of either putting a damsel in distress or yeah, and weirdly, they even they do tie it in. They, it's just an, I think, and to me, it's it's not done with enough care. But they even do kind of tie in the sexual assault to his trauma, and I'm like, well, that's more sophisticated than I ever thought they were going to go with it. Yeah, it is, but it's still you know a little off putting. Um, yeah, it's definitely off putting. You know, but yeah, like it's disturbing. There are triggering moments, and it's scary at moments. And like again, I give credit where credit's due to that like maniacal, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio face when he stares at you and Billy stares at you. It's scary. There's actually at one. I'll give you. I'll give you a really chilling moment. And and I'm being dead seriously. This is because I couldn't remember this when I watched the film. When he kills Denise and her boyfriend, the little girl comes out from her bedroom oh, yeah. and she sees Santa. 
And for a split second, I couldn't remember. I was like, does he kill the fucking kid? Because holy right. crap, like how far are they going to go? He doesn't. But what he does do is he says, if you've been naughty or nice, he says, I've been nice. If you've been good all year, I've been good all year. And he hands her the freaking box cutter that he slid it's up bloody. in Pamela with. And I was like, holy yeah. shit. Um, but in that moment, and for a split second, I couldn't remember. I was like, is he about to kill the kid? And I, I honestly, I couldn't remember. He doesn't, you know. And I wouldn't. I would not have put it past this movie. It because the movie crosses lines like that. Yeah, but tell me so as a I father, like, oh, I yeah. don't. I don't have kids. Tell me in that moment for a split second, you had to think, oh shit, he's about to kill this kid. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and the opening scene, by the way, is two children witnessing a, just a horrific trauma. Yeah. And so like you don't even have to kill the kids all the time. Sometimes you just have to put them in a scenario where you go, my God, that's awful. Yeah. Like that is just horrifically bad what you're doing to this child, even without even fucking killing them. But I wouldn't have put it past this movie. That was the kind of lines it was crossing where I was like, if he kills her right now, which would be terribly fucked up. I'm not surprised that this movie would do that. Yeah, and so that's where I was like legitimately scared in that moment. Like there's two things like in movies, like I don't have kids. But I wince when there's being, you know, and then the other one is, is animals. Like if you heard it, I'll be way more upset if you heard a dog in a film than if you heard a person. Sorry, yeah. that's just my reality. Um, they didn't do that in this film, obviously. But um, like that, like that, like when they heard a dog or something, I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's bridge too far. You can't go there. You can't you can't do that. Um, but yeah, like that, that was a moment where I was legitimately scared for a split second. I was like, is he actually going to kill this little girl? And he doesn't. But, you know, there was a moment where I was like, he's about to kill this little girl. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> In that way, it is scary. And it's not, you know, again, I wasn't like, you know, sleep with the lights on that kind of, you know, again, you and I are so desensitized to that. But for like an 84 slasher, this was really good. Really well done. Mm -hmm. It's up there. I'm going to have to tell people from now and be like, oh, you want you want a slasher that not every that's not Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser or Friday the 13th. Check this out. Yeah. And guess what? There's like nine sequels. Yeah, there's a lot of. See I'm sure they're all very top quality. I fully, fully guarantee they're all amazing. Uh, we're go <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna review them at some point because come on, we have. Maybe to. that's what we do every Christmas now. Maybe yeah, <laughs> we, we just do keep, this series. We just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole of of Silent Night Deadly Nights. Um, yeah, but the original is a classic. I love it. I I I loved it as a kid. I always remember it as a kid, and now that I've rewatched it as a as a full on you know reviewing adult movie person whatever you want to call us um <laughs> critic all those things critic movie critic that's what i was looking for i'm having a problem dude when you write for a living you lose words occasionally all right um <laughs> as a full-on movie critic now in my adult life i still love it and i and i appreciate it more because as you said it's far more sophisticated than it has any business being totally yeah i was surprised because a movie like a movie of this um yeah uh uh well, well what would i say <laughs> a movie that fits in the early 80s genre i never expect to be that sophisticated so yeah. i was i was surprised really well done well there you go folks if you're looking for a holiday movie to scare the piss out of your kids or just scare yourself watch silent night deadly night it is a classic it is an all-time classic and i think i've turned patrick into a fan as well which i'm very proud when i oh, can I'm do a fan that now yeah I'm, I'm 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 an even bigger fan than i was you know two weeks ago when i when i pitched this idea um <laughs> want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes into the show. I want to give you a preview of what's coming next week. Next week will be the epic. What you've all been waiting for. 
our year-end best-of show. We will pick our favorite horror films of 2022. We will do categories across the board of our favorite moments in horror. And let me be clear about this, and you can back me up on this, Patrick. 2022 was a really good year for horror. A really good year for horror. One of the best on record. I'm willing to bet it's one of the best years for horror on record ever. Yeah, so we're going to have our full-on best-of show next week. Do not miss it. It's always one of our biggest episodes of the year, and we're gearing up, man. We are full-on preparing. Patrick's putting on the tuxedo. Uh, Actually, I think I'm wearing the tuxedo. Patrick's going nude, if I remember that was the arrangement we made. Right, yeah. Hairy ass, tight shot on the hairy ass. I agreed to do just no video for this podcast is what I agreed for that (laughs) week. I said, I'll do the tuxedo, you do nude, but we're not going to do video. Um, (laughs) We're going all out for the year-end podcast is what I'm getting at, folks. Um, um, so yeah, tune into that one next week and a big thank you to everyone that tunes in each and every week to the show. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, uh, Stitcher, Amazon, uh, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Google podcasts. And of course you can always check us out over on my website, nerdcoremovement.com. Uh, if you have questions, comments, movies you'd like us to review, or you just want to follow along, uh, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Rewind to the living dead, search it. You will find us on all your favorite podcast platforms and you can also find us on our own personal podcast platform or excuse me our own personal social media sites excuse me uh i am at damon martin on twitter and you are at director patrick and do not hesitate to send us an email if you have questions comments movies you want us to review tell us how badly silent night deadly night fucked you up as a kid uh Mm. send us an email at rot livingdead at gmail.com that's rot livingdead at gmail.com and we will gladly respond to your emails want to say a big thank you as always for everyone that tunes in the show we will see you next week for another edition of rewind of the living dead the best of 2022 thanks for tuning in we'll see you then peace